Well, it's uh, very good to see you. I'd like to extend my own welcome to that of Kate's earlier in the service and encourage you now to turn in your Bibles to the first of the two readings that Peter read for us a little bit earlier, uh, page 1209, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, We're looking morning and evenings through Hebrews chapter 11 through the summer, uh, looking at the great people of faith, um, pointing towards chapter 12, which tells us to learn from them so that we would know uh, how to live like them, but to fix our eyes on Jesus. So that's what we're doing. And uh, something else you might like to do is to grab hold of uh, the little handout. Um, There's some quotes on there, whether you like taking notes or not. I think you'll find it useful to have this uh, to hand uh, so that you can see where we're going. And it'll be a little jog of your memory as well when you get home, if you like these things. Let me pray for us now. We've been singing, Heavenly Father, that we will uh, walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, We've been singing that we want to run the race until it's finished and the work is done. And we pray our time together now would help us to do just that, to understand more what it means to walk by faith and then to be determined to do just that, run the race that is marked out for us with perseverance fixing our eyes on Jesus and living a life that brings glory to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a a week of sport we've had. And for a a sportaholic like me, it's been absolutely brilliant. I I, I do just need to tell you I just said sportaholic, uh, not alcoholic. I said that once before and uh, somebody after the service, this was in another church, came up to me and said, look, uh, I know a counsellor. I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, it's very brave of you to admit you're an alcoholic in front of all these people. I said, I said no, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm a sportholic. And they said, no, you're just in denial now. And it really got all very, very complicated. So I just said, for a sportholic like me, it's been brilliant. Uh, Caroline describes the Olympics as sport heaven for me. You know, I've got the, uh, the telly on and then I've got the laptop on uh, so that I can see what's going on in more than one place at, at a time. It's just wonderful. Now, with apologies to all those of you who loathe sport and now have come to church to find you can't get away from it here either, I must ask the rest of you, what is your most memorable Olympic moment so far? I wonder what it is. Apart from the Queen's good evening, Mr Bond, which I thought was brilliant. That's going to keep me going for a long, long time. Uh, thinking of the sport, what was it? The first Team GB goal that was won by the women's pair rowing? Uh, That was certainly it for me. Uh, Until Bradley Wiggins' time trial. Uh, Until Catherine Granger, after three consecutive silvers, finally got the gold. Well, you know, if you didn't have a lump in your throat before, then you did when that happened. And then last night, Jessica Ennis, our own Jessica Ennis. Of course, none of us know her, but she's our own because she's come from Sheffield. (laughs) And Greg Rutherford and Mo Farah. And this afternoon, Andy Murray. Yes. Thank you very much. I don't know why I'm thanking you. What did I do anyway? Beating Roger Federer at Wimbledon. It's just been magnificent. Now, what so captures me about the sport, apart from the fact that I love it, is, is the endurance and perseverance. Anybody who's done any sport at all knows it is tough, it is hard, and the sheer endurance and perseverance, even for something like the 100 metres, you know, that's happening later on tonight. It's 10 seconds, it will be gone, but that's not the point. Years of dedication, of training, uh, sheer endurance and perseverance. And that is just like the Christian life. It is tough keeping going in the Christian life. It is difficult. There are all sorts of things to throw us off track. Now for the Christians who first received this letter to the Hebrews, they were in serious danger of giving up the Christian life. 
And look what the writer says just before the reading we had. Chapter 10, verse 36. He says, you need to persevere. Perseverance. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. And what God has promised is laid out earlier in the book as nothing less than eternal rest. Eternity with God in the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. Such a wonderful prize, as we were hearing this morning, so much more important and fulfilling and lasting than any gold medal. That is what we're, we're, we're striving for. That is what we're longing for. That's what God has promised. But these Christians were shrinking back from the Christian life. You can imagine how many athletes uh, through their, their, their years of preparation has kind of just dropped off. They just haven't been able to keep going. Now these Christians that, uh, that uh, the writer was writing to were drifting away from the Christian life, drifting actually into, or I should say back into Judaism. They were Jews, which is why this book is called Hebrews. They, or they had been Jews, they were Jews who'd been converted to Christ and now they were drifting back into Ju- Judaism and away from Jesus Christ. And as I said last Sunday morning when we kicked off this series, the reason that they were doing that The reason that Judaism seems so appealing, why why they were being lured back from Christianity into Judaism, was that Judaism seemed more real than Christianity. Because Judaism was a religion that had things that you could see with your eyes and touch with your hands. They had a temple they could go to. They had a priest that they could see and sacrifices they could touch. But in this letter, right up to this point, we've learned that Jesus Christ is our temple. You can't see him. He is our great high priest and you can't see him and he is our sacrifice but you can't see him. He's a better sacrifice, a better priest. He's a better tabernacle, temple than any of you've got in Judaism but you can't see him. And that's why it's so hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe in things you can't see. Now, honestly, it is so much easier to live for things that you can see. For the Hebrews, they were tempted to want religious things they could see. For us, well, I don't know whether I can speak for you, for me, I am always being tempted to live for the things I can see and experience here and now. Sport and success and sporting success. Real estate and real stuff. Holidays and houses, materialism and money. Real things I can see and get hold of, tangible. They're the things I am always being lured toward, tempted to want to live for. That's how it is for me. The things we see seem so much more real to us and that's how it was for the Hebrews. But look at chapter 10, verse 38. God says, my righteous one will live by faith. The righteous live by faith. What does that actually mean? What does a life of faith mean? look like well that's the point of chapter 11 and look at verse 1 now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see Uh, you see chapter 11 uh, verse 1 is not an exhaustive definition of faith The, the bible says lots of other things about faith we need to put them all together this is not an exhaustive definition of faith but it is exactly what the Hebrew Christians needed to hear Because they were beginning to focus on things they could see, but the righteous live by faith. 
And that means, verse 1, being sure of what we hope for, things we don't yet have, and being certain of things that we do not see. Now, if that's all a bit conceptual for you, then the rest of the chapter is a chapter full of examples of people who live by faith. It doesn't need to be left as a concept. And verse 1 is not, is not where it ends. The rest of the chapter is full of people who believed in things they did not see. They had faith in things they did not see. That's the point of the chapter. And tonight we're looking at the faith of Noah. So Sunday mornings and evenings we're going through this chapter looking at different characters and we've got as far as Noah tonight. Who, as you look at verse 7, by faith, when warned about things not yet seen, there it is again, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that, came, that comes by faith. Oh, the story of Noah is remarkable. Uh, keep something in chapter 11 and uh, come back with me to uh, Genesis chapter 6 there's the second of the, the two readings that, um, that Peter read for us so page 8 is the page number if you have a church bible as we go back to Genesis chapter 6 we see again just why Noah is such a great example of faith that's why we're going back here for a moment remember chapter 11 Look at Noah, he's a great example of faith because he trusted in something he couldn't see and so we'll just have a quick look at Noah and then we'll go back to chapter 11 and see what it says about him. Noah lived at a time when everyone around him was thoroughly ungodly. That's how this bit begins, chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Oh, it sounds exactly like life today, doesn't it? Uh, chapter 11 and 12 is the sort of situation you and I have to live with every day as people live for themselves and make up their own rules for life. This is just how it is. Uh, it's the life of the workplace, isn't it? Where ambitious individuals walk all over others to climb the ladder. And where greedy corporations adopt corrupt practices to make more money. That's uh, verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12 describe the world of work and it's the world of leisure where even a trip to the cinema glamorises a lifestyle that is contrary to God's law. So you go out to enjoy yourself for an evening and you think, oh, this is not right. Or sometimes you don't even think that anymore because you've just got so sucked into it you don't even think about it anymore. It's just, that's just how it is. The world we live in at work at leisure even on holiday this is the world we, we live in where a, a drinking culture and casual sex is rife it's just the way people live or go on holiday yeah you let your hair down do whatever you like at work at leisure on holiday not to mention the endemic violence and corruption in society it's the world we live in it was the world that Noah lived in and be under no illusions that approach to life kind of living my life however I like, ignoring God's law, that does arouse God's wrath and does bring his judgment. And we see that in verse 13. So, so, the linking word is very important, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy them and the earth. God warned Noah of the coming judgment and then in verse 14 in his great kindness he told Noah how to escape the judgment. He told Noah to build an ark. 
In fact, God told Noah exactly how to build the ark, the materials to use, verse 14, the dimensions of the vessel, verse 15. God even gave Noah a detailed blueprint of the layout in verse 16. And then God said, verse 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. But here's the really, for me, the really remarkable thing about Noah. It comes in verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Uh, Noah built the ark. He did everything just as God commanded him. We read it again in the next chapter. Uh, God told Noah to take his family into the ark along with various animals. And look at chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And when the floodwaters came in verse 6, and Noah entered the ark and took the animals in, uh, with him we read that everything happened, end of verse 9, as God had commanded Noah. And exactly the same phrase is repeated in verse 16. Now that is the remarkable thing about Noah. Noah's faith is outstanding. And it's so outstanding because the world had never flooded before. This is why Noah is held up as an example of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Noah didn't know anything about global warming and the dangers of polar ice caps melting. He didn't even know polar ice caps existed. He didn't even know a polar bear existed, I presume. Noah had no experience of extreme flooding to give him any reason to think that what God said would happen. I mean, Noah had never experienced a British summer. And yet he believed God's word to him and did everything just as God had commanded him. Here was Noah, miles from the coast. And yet when God told him all this, he went to his local timber yard and day after day he set to work to build a boat the size of an Olympic football pitch. That's how big it was. Can you imagine the ridicule he faced from his neighbours? What are you doing now? I'm building an ark ready for a flood. Noah's off his head. Noah's lost the plot. Noah's a religious nutcase. But chapter 6, verse 22, despite all of that, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And so Noah is held up as a great example of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you're taking notes, or if you're still following on the handout, our first point, Noah was a man of faith because faith is believing the word of God. We've seen it in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. God spoke and Noah believed him. And as we turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, again, page 1209, where we'll spend virtually the rest of the time now, as we turn back there, this is exactly what the chapter is about. Faith is believing the word of God. We've seen it in the Noah story. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 11 and without going through the whole thing again, we learned from verse 3 that faith comes from the word of God. That's why verse 3 of chapter 11 is placed where it is. Look how the opening verses work. Verse 1, this is what faith is. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. And then the rest of the chapter is a list of the ancients who lived out this faith, except... The first one of those ancients is listed in verse 4. So verse 3 is a surprise. You'd expect to read this, verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for, and then to read verse 4, verse 4, by faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. 
But verse 3 is slotted in. Verse 3 is a surprise. Look out for the surprises when you read the Bible. They open things up to you. Now, as we saw last Sunday morning, before giving us these examples of faith from the ancients, from these people, as the writer calls them, he quite deliberately tees it up with verse 3 to tell us that faith is completely bound up with the word of God. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, or better, by the word of God. Now in some ways, starting this little section, this chapter, with the creation of the world might seem logical, but it's actually here, not because it's logical, but because it's foundational. This point is foundational to the rest of the chapter and to understanding what faith is. This is the point. When the universe was formed by the word of God, you and I weren't there. And no one was. We never saw the universe being formed. Of course, no one was there. So, verse 3, it is by faith that we understand the universe was formed by the word of God. Why? Because the word of God tells us that the universe was formed by the word of God. There's no other way we can know. We gain our faith that the creation was made from the word of God because we weren't there when it happened. Now again, if you want to think more about this, please listen to the sermon from last Sunday morning. But for now, see how the writer of the Hebrews tells us quite deliberately that faith comes from the word of God. Faith is believing God's word. And that's why Noah is such a brilliant example of faith. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And incidentally, as a kind of aside, but I think it's really worth noting, while we're looking at verse 3, note how brilliant the first four words are of verse 3. I love this. I only saw it this week. By faith we understand. I love those four words because they put faith and understanding together. And many people I speak to, and I'm not just talking about unbelievers, I mean many Christians too as I speak to them, would never put the words faith and understanding together. Faith and reason, faith and thinking. But look, faith is not opposed to understanding and thinking and reasoning. Faith is reasonable. It's being certain of something I can't see, but it's not unreasonable. Noah then is the great example of faith because faith is believing the word of God. So, if you want to be a a person of faith, full of faith, be a person of God's word. You will never be a person full of faith until you are a person full of God's word. This is where it begins to come from. So read God's word. Grow in your understanding of God's word. That is how you will begin to grow in faith. And then as you obey God's word, you will be a person of faith. But don't put a line between faith and the word of God. Don't think faith is in some way just going to sort of happen. It's going to well up inside of you. Where does it come from? From the word of God. Noah then, brilliant example of faith because he believed the word of God. And Noah believed something very specific. He believed that there was a coming judgment, a mighty flood. He couldn't see the coming judgment. He had no prior experience of it, but he believed it because God's word said it would happen. And so, uh, second, Noah is a great example of faith because, on the handout, faith is believing things not yet seen. See, that's the point in verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things 
not yet seen. It's exactly the same phrase as we saw in verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. As I've already said, Noah had never seen a flood. Did you notice it in the reading back in Genesis chapter 6? He lived for 600 years. As we might say, Noah had been round the block a few times. He'd been round the track more times than Mo Farah. That, that race went on forever, didn't it? Just kept going. Noah, in terms of life, he'd been round the tracks hundreds of times. In fact, he'd been round the track so often he'd worn a hole in the track. So after 600 years of walking the planet and never having seen the earth flooded, Noah, of all people, had reason to think it would never happen. It's never going to happen. It would have been quite reasonable for Noah to say, a flood, the whole earth being flooded, in all my years I've never seen anything like that. You'd go, oh, in all your years, 600 years. But verse 1, faith is being certain of things not yet seen. And so verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Now that leads us then to our third point, that uh, the specific thing Noah had not seen and yet was certain of was the judgment to come. So uh, Noah is a great example of faith because third, faith is worked out in action. See, even though the destruction of virtually the entire human race by a flood seemed unlikely, what do we read in verse 7? In holy fear, that is, in fear of the judgment, Noah built an ark to save his family. Here's the point. Noah demonstrated his faith by his actions. Oh, it's a key point right through chapter 11. It's what we've seen morning and evening in these little cameos. Uh, In verse 4, this time last week, we met Abel who demonstrated his faith by offering a, a better sacrifice, as it says here, than his brother Cain. And do you remember when we looked back at Genesis chapter 4, it told us that this better sacrifice was better because he gave a firstborn lamb. He gave his first, his best. So Abel's faith was demonstrated in his actions. You could see his faith because he gave the best. This morning we were looking, it was wonderful. I do, I do commend you to get the... Uh, a copy of the sermon uh, that uh, Philip Hacking preached for us in Enoch. This morning in verses 5 and 6 we met Enoch and learned from the end of verse 5 that Enoch pleased God. And when we went back to Genesis chapter 5 we read how did he please God? He walked with God. It doesn't mean that Enoch went for his daily constitutional with God, you know, out for an evening stroll with God. It meant he lived a godly life. You could see his faith. Abel, by his sacrifice... Uh, Enoch, by his life, faith is worked out in action, in our lifestyle. And now here in verse 7, Noah is probably the clearest example so far in this chapter of faith, that faith results in action. He built an ark. He acted on what he believed. Uh, Look, this is the the point. Faith is not a wishy-washy, invisible thing. You can see faith in that faith is lived out. Which is why, if you're still on on the handout over the page, you'll see James says, faith without actions is dead. That's why we, you know, when we look at people, we we can say they're people full of faith. It's not, it's it's obvious. And you can see when people don't have faith, it's obvious and live it out. 
And here in Noah we see specifically what it means to have faith in in that the judgment is coming. He had faith in the judgment to come. Has it been really challenging to me? We often say, we didn't say it tonight, but we often say the creed. Uh, and in, when we say the creed, we say, we believe in the coming judgment. We, we say this, I believe Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Oh, yeah, I stand here, or Kate stands here, and we all stand up and say, I believe, in the, I, I, I believe Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. We're all standing and saying, well, if we really believe that, then it will be worked out in our lives. Speaking of uh, Noah's faith, David Gooding, I've put this uh, quote on here, writes these words. How could he, Noah, really believe that the flood was coming without doing something about the salvation of his family? True faith acts. And then he adds, how can we claim really to believe in the coming judgment unless, like Noah, we are doing something about the salvation of others? We believe Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, do we? Those words are hollow, hollow, unless we are telling people about Jesus. Our family and our friends and our work colleagues and our neighbours and our acquaintances, these dear people that we know and love and spend our time with, these dear people face the coming judgment of Christ. The coming judgment that Jesus himself said would be just like the flood in, in, in Luke chapter 17. The terrible day of judgment is coming. And if we don't tell everyone around us, it means either we don't believe it or we don't love them. Which is it? Don't love them enough to tell them or don't believe it? Of course we find it hard to tell people they're facing the judgment of Christ because we get ridiculed and rejected. And that's why Noah is such a great example to us. We fear the comments that Noah got. He's off his head. He's lost the plot. He's a religious nutcase. That's what you expect people to say when you say Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge everybody one day. He's going to end the world as we know it, completely wrap it up, and anybody who doesn't follow him will will go to hell. People just think you're off your head. But if we really believe that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead, then like Noah, we need to tell people, knowing that one day the truth will out. Faith is worked out in action. That's why Noah's held up as such a great example of a man of faith. Because first, faith is believing the word of God. Second, faith is believing things not yet seen. Third, faith is worked out in action. And fourth, faith reveals the truth to the world. Look at the second half of verse 7. It's a very interesting verse, this. By his faith, or maybe better, by his actions, Noah condemned the world. What does that mean? A faith worked out in action condemns the world. I think we've got to be very careful here. This doesn't mean that by our actions we condemn the world. It doesn't mean that, because Jesus said, whoever does not believe, whoever does not have faith, stands condemned already. We've already seen that the world that Noah lived in already stood condemned. It wasn't anything to do with his action that condemned the world. I think the words of William uh, William Lane catch the point well here. And again, I've put them on on the outline. William Lane writes these words. The life of a person full of faith and faithfulness to God constitutes a sharp rebuke to a godless generation. As we've already seen, Noah lived at a time when people stood condemned already. 
We saw that in Genesis chapter 6, how the earth was, was corrupt in God's sight, full of violence. The world stood condemned already. And they were finally condemned when the flood came. And then you can imagine them standing before the judgment seat of God, can't you, saying, but I never knew. I never knew about you. You didn't tell me. I never knew this flood was going to come. And you can hear God gently replying, but I did tell you, I spoke my word. And then them responding, but how was I supposed to believe your word? How was I to believe that a flood actually would come? Or as people might say today, how was I to believe that Jesus would actually come again to judge the living and the dead? How was I to believe that? Can you hear the word, the Lord, gently saying to them, but look at Noah. He heard my word and did everything just as I commanded him. Or today, your friends and mine, when they one day face the judgment, can you imagine God gently saying to them, look at the Christian you knew. They believed my word. They lived out a consistent Christian lifestyle. They acted on my word. They tried to tell you about Jesus. You saw the way they lived for me. In that way, a life of faith declares the truth to the world. Or in the words of verse 7, a life of faith condemns the world. Christian, keep living faithfully, a faithful Christian life. And for the unbeliever here, or the person, the person that maybe wouldn't use that description of yourself, but you're not really living a life of faith, may I, may I urge you to be careful. And can I say this as a loving warning? And honestly, with no delight, please do not think you will have a leg to stand on on Judgment Day. Please don't think you'll be able to stand there and appeal to God that you didn't know enough. Because God will point to your Christian friend and say, but they had exactly the same as you. They, they had my word and they believed. And you saw the way they lived. Noah was a man of faith then, because firstly, faith is believing the word of God. Secondly, faith is believing things not yet seen. Third, faith is worked out in action. Fourth, faith reveals the truth to the world. And, faith, and, and fifth, faith gets righteousness, not sets righteousness, gets righteousness. Sorry, the problem with, with headings is you're trying to fit it all together. It's not a great heading. It really should be this. We are declared righteous through faith. That's the end of verse 7. By faith, or by his works, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. See, very simply, Noah was declared righteous because he believed God. Not because of the way he, he lived, that's not the point, because he believed God. In fact, he believed God, changed his lifestyle, but that, it wasn't his lifestyle that made him right with God that he believed God. And that's what we see throughout the book of Genesis. People are declared righteous because they believe God. Abraham is the supreme example of that and we'll, we'll see him, meet him next Sunday morning. Throughout the book of Genesis, righteousness is accredited, given to someone because they have faith, because they believe God's word. And we see this in Noah. I think it's worth looking at it. So I'm just, um, we're going to, come, going to go back to Genesis then come back to Hebrews 11. So keep your, your hand out in, in, in Hebrews 11. Just come back with me to that reading, Genesis 6, because it's such an important point. Page 8 again. 
just for a couple of seconds and then we'll flick back to Hebrews 11 and we'll be done. And we'll all be home in time to see the 100 metres. I know is what you want to do. Okay, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22. Again, we've seen this. Noah believed God. He did everything just as God commanded him. So Noah believed God uh, and his belief in God, his faith in God, resulted in him doing exactly what God said. And then, because Noah believed God, chapter 7, verse 1, see it at the end of verse 1? He was found righteous. Very important. God was found righteous because of the things he did, but because he believed God. And being righteous is to be in the right with God. And the Bible is very clear, we can only be declared righteous through faith. And that's why, as we just flip back now to Hebrews chapter 11, or rather chapter 10, that's why we read in Hebrews 10 verse 38, look at this, where we started, 10.38, my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, That is, if he stops living by faith, if he starts living for the things he can see, if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. So Noah's a brilliant example of faith. Faith that it is so so important because it is through faith we are saved. Noah believed God when he spoke, living out his faith, acting on things he couldn't see. And so, so the writer to the Hebrews tells us to follow Noah's example. Along with, with all the great people of faith in chapter 11, follow their example. And where he's heading to in this chapter is chapter 12, verse 1. And with this we end. He says, follow their example. And chapter 12, verse 1, 